This is Melbourne. Welcome to Shire Network News, the official podcast of the Anglospheric group blog, SilentRunning.tv. I'm your host, Tom Payne. Coming up a little later will be our feature interview this week. It's Baron Bodice and Dimfner, the two writers of Gates of Vienna, the blog whose name references the Siege of Vienna by the Turks in 1683, and which notes that we are in yet another stage of a very long war. I wish we had John Howard for a president. I do not think that John Howard would be inviting some of the very questionable American Islamists to the White House. Tea. I don't think he'd proclaim that from now on he was keeping a copy of the Quran in the White House. Andrew Ian Dodge joins us from London, where he's been busy oiling the hinges on Traitor's Gate with his own drool at the thought of gorgeous George Galloway, MP for Fallujah South, being found guilty of lying to a U.S. Senate committee. Give him Lord Hawhaw's old self, that's what I say. The one he was in right up until we took him out and shot him for treason. And Lawrence Simon joins us from Houston with the Full of Crap Report. Right now, though, Blog News. In the latest episode of Stargate SG-1, information from a Tok'ra agent reaches Stargate command that an alien Goa'uld symbiote has secretly taken control of a senior member of the U.S. government. This causes a frantic search by General Jack O'Neill and the other members of his team, including car chases, a dramatic confrontation with former Vice President Kinsey, a diversionary attack by three system lords on an Asgard battleship in orbit around Jupiter, and a romantic subplot involving Dr. Daniel Jackson. The search ends when one of the Air Force guards at Cheyenne Mountain glances at a copy of USA Today and notices a photo of Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice and says, There's your gold right there, boys. Yes, USA Today this week published a photograph of Condoleezza Rice with what appears to be mad staring eyes straight out of the exorcist. When challenged and realising it had got its head well and truly caught in the ringer, USA Today backed down, offering this feeble and provably wrong explanation. Photos published online are routinely cropped for size and adjusted for brightness and sharpness to optimise their appearance. In this case, after sharpening the photo for clarity, the editor brightened a portion of Rice's face, giving her eyes an unnatural appearance. This resulted in a distortion of the original, not in keeping with our editorial standards. Well, you could say that. You could also say that in the wake of Condoleezza Rice's much-publicised visit to her hometown of Birmingham, where she gave a well-received speech on civil rights, there are those in the mainstream media who fear her as a possible Republican candidate for president in 2008 and want to demonise her. Literally. Compare the original with the improved version at New Zealand-based political blog Sir Humphreys, complete with a technical breakdown of the difference between the two, showing very clearly that the demonic eyes effect was deliberate. Also check out Michelle Malkin, who has a great wrap-up of blog reaction to the doctored photo. It makes her look as if she's saying, Fools! All who oppose me shall pay with their lives. Now, kneel before your God. 
which I have to say would certainly get her my support for the presidency. It's a lot less scary than the thought of President Hillary Clinton. And from our bulging, we have no enemies, only friends we haven't surrendered to properly file, comes this statement on Muslim, Jewish peace, friendship and coexistence from the following sentiments expressed to a chanting crowd at an event called World Without Zionism from no less than His Excellency, the President of the Islamic Republic of Iran. There is no doubt that the new wave of attacks in Palestine will wipe off this stigma from the face of the Islamic world. Anybody who recognizes Israel will burn in the fire of the Islamic nation's fury, while any Islamic leader who recognizes the Zionist regime means he is acknowledging the surrender and defeat of the Islamic world. As Imam Ayatollah Khomeini said, Israel must be wiped off the map. Okay, let, let, let's see why he might have said this. Uh, it's, uh, taken out of context? Uh, not really. Uh, poorly translated? Uh-uh. Uh, innocent words twisted by Zionist-dominated Western media reporting? Uh, I'm going to go with no. Unaware he was being recorded? Uh, no, that's a bit weak. Yep, I'm afraid we're back with Frothing Madman tells mass rally of identically clad political extremists it's their holy task to destroy the Jews. Stop me if you've heard this one before. I know I have. As Roger L. Simon says, at least we know where he stands. If there's one thing that drives me crazy, it's those mealy-mouthed politicians who clothe everything in diplo-speak. We now cross live to New York, where we're about to hear the ringing condemnations of this genocidal threat from all the assembled representatives of the Arab states. Gentlemen, over to you. Okay, maybe there was some technical difficulty there. Uh, maybe the microphone wasn't placed correctly or something. Can liberals be racists? A lot of people who followed a link on andrewsullivan.com to a site called The News Blog would probably agree the answer is hell yeah. Maryland Lieutenant Governor Michael Steele, a black Republican, is running for the Senate. The person behind the news blog, Steve Gilliard, who is black as well, wrote a post describing him as Simple Sambo, complete with a photo depicting him in blackface minstrel makeup. The line beneath the photo reads, I's Simple Sambo, and I's running for the big house. How bad is this photo? Well, listen to this post in Gilliard's hilarious comment section. I just got home from school in Los Angeles, got suspended by my high school principal for pulling this up in class, Anyone know who I can contact to get some verification this isn't intended to be racist? I tried to explain, but she wouldn't read or listen to me. I don't know what to do. And a rather more direct comment here. You racist prick. I'm sending this link to the NAACP and every other organization I can think of. I'm a black American, and that photo will get your throat cut in Queens. Well, Steve Gilliard himself defends the racially charged caricature, saying... You know, if black Republican wasn't a synonym for betrayer of black people, we could debate their views. But because it is, we need to call these people out as loudly as possible. Right. And that's why it's okay for John Kerry to drone on and on and on about how Dick Cheney's daughter is a lesbian? You see, under the unwritten rules of American politics, gay bashing, race baiting and misogyny aren't really a problem if they're used by someone on the left because leftists, by definition, can't be homophobic, racist, women-haters. Unless they are. In which case, it must be uh, for a good cause, which makes it all right. 
Lawrence Simon isn't here right now, so I'll say it for him. Steve Gilliard, I don't care what colour your skin is, you're full of crap. Well, it was the parte of the year down in Moonbat Central this week when the great news came through that a US serviceman had been killed in action in Iraq. It was the grim milestone itself. As the Vedondant blog notes, it's funny how all the headlines in the mainstream media use the exact same phrase. Normally a US soldier, sailor, marine or airman dying wouldn't be cause for much more than a routine sneer about Rumsfeldian killbots for Jesus trying to steal Muslim oil, getting their just desserts at the hands of the heroic Iraqi people's revolutionary insurgency. They're just like our Minutemen, don't you know? But this was different. This was what they'd all been waiting for, the 2,000th US casualty in Iraq. So break out the giant puppet heads and load Fahrenheit 9-11 into the DVD player, people. It's time to celebrate. Think I'm being unfair? Think I'm exaggerating just to score cheap points off a group of thoughtful, concerned people who are genuinely anguished over the fate of US troops? Well, think again, muchachos. Little Green Football's ace undercover operative Zombie infiltrated the rejoicing throng at the Not One More Death, Not One More Dollar event in San Francisco. He's got photos. Go and have a look. See the smiles and laughter on the disgusting faces of those people. They're so overjoyed at the thought of a nice round casualty figure to bash the president with, they can't even manage a compassionate head tilt. These morally vacuous people regard US servicemen and women as expendable chess pieces, as useful debating points, and not as people who might have their own flesh and blood fears and desires. Here's a letter home from one Marine, posted by Greyhawk at the Mudville Gazette. Mum and Dad, well, if you're reading this, then things didn't go well for me over in Iraq. I'm sorry for the pain that I've caused you because of this. Please do not be upset with the Marine Corps, the military, the government or the President. It was my choice to go into the military. The President and my higher commanders were just doing what they thought was best. Realize that I died doing something that I truly love, and for a purpose greater than myself. There is a paragraph that I read from time to time when I lose focus. War is an ugly thing, but not the ugliest of things. The decayed and degraded state of moral and patriotic feeling which thinks that nothing is worth war is much worse. The person who has nothing for which he is willing to fight, nothing which is more important than his own personal safety, is a miserable creature and has no chance of being free unless made and kept so by the exertions of better men than himself. John Stuart Mill Now there's a little Marine Corps bravado in there, but I do believe in the basic premise. I want you to know that I could not have asked for better parents or a better family. I'll never forget that one of my friends in elementary school said that if he could trade places with one person, he'd trade places with me because of my parents and home life. I truly feel that I've had a blessed life thanks to you two. Please give my love to Elise and Ryan, Kari and Matt and the girls, Chris and Brandy, and everyone else in the family. All my love, Ryan. Semper Fi. Marine Captain Ryan Bupree from Sedan, Illinois, died on March the 21st, 2003, in a helicopter crash near the Iraqi border. He was one of the first to fall in the Iraq War, and he will not be the last. Those who joined in the obscene festivities to celebrate the fact that 2,000 American servicemen and women have made the ultimate sacrifice might not appreciate the irony that it is those same sacrifices that allow them the freedoms 
they so gleefully abuse. Well, that's enough blog news for now. Let's go to Houston. Hi there, this is Lawrence Simon. It's time for the Full of Crap Report. Let there be no doubt about it. Iranian President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad called for Israel to be wiped off the map. The head of a UN member nation publicly called for the extermination and obliteration of another UN member nation in unambiguous terms. You know, this isn't the first time. Um, After all, Colonel Gaddafi of Libya not only has a proposal to dismantle Israel and replace with Israelstein, it's on his personal website. Imagine if George Bush had a, let's obliterate Iraq and destroy it and wipe it off the face of the earth essay on whitehouse.gov. Imagine the uproar about that. But whatever. I think Gaddafi's checklist has end Israel first, kill off the Jews second, while Ahmad and Ejad combined both steps in a single nuclear-fueled genocidal act of public fury. When faced with condemnation, Ahmad and Ejad repeated the call for the obliteration of Israel, despite the spin imams of his government and the apologists among the mainstream media trying to sweep it all under the rug. He meant what he said, folks. It's the true genocidal statements of the man, his government, his people, and heck, most fellow members of his Islamic religion as well. So let us praise the man. That's right, praise the man for his candor, his honesty, his willingness to face the truth. He may be a genocidal, hate-filled, terror-supporting, nuclear weapon-seeking asshole in a long line of them at the pus-filled head of the sword that is the Islamic public of Iran, but finally, we have an open and honest one. Shocked by the sudden revelation of their true intentions, the Iranian foreign ministry had to spin, spin, spin like a centrifuge working uranium hexafluoride for weapons-grade material. And this is the quote. The Islamic Republic of Iran is committed to UN Charter commitments. It has never used force against a second country or threatened the use of force. Uh, it's called Iraq, uh, 1980 to 1988. As for the chorus of denouncements from the statement from various governments in the usually virulently anti-Semitic United Nations, well, (laughs) it's all a Zionist plot, according to the Iranians. And here we go. Proposed by the Zionist regime to close the eyes to its crimes and to change the facts, therefore it is not acceptable. Folks, go to memory.org for the translations of Amani Jad's statements to see the truth of what he said. Wipe Israel from the map. There's no bones about it. It's not a mistranslation. It's what he said. The Iranian foreign ministry, as usual, is in the business of manufacturing lies, while their scientists are busy working with the Russians, manufacturing what they hope will be the engines of their genocidal Islamic aspirations to wipe out the West. As for Kofi Annan's dismay over the statement, well, that's explainable as well. He's just shocked that Iran has put Israel on the map in the first place. After all, wouldn't it be an insult to the memory of his good friend Yasser Arafat if they were to suddenly abandon their desire to have Palestine on the map and actually recognize Israel by putting it there? You know, the same Yasser Arafat, uh, let me try to remember, didn't the UN General Assembly condemn Israel for openly thinking about removing him from Ramallah? If that merits a condemnation, I wonder what openly thinking about and calling for the extermination of an entire nation merits. And the answer is, of course, a diplomatic visit from Kofi Annan. It's happening in a few weeks. Look it up on his schedule. Oh, and of course, 
from Kofi Annan, his thanks. What? How so? Well, after all, look back at every statement that he makes the moment he lands and gets off the plane. The first thing he does, no matter how evil the country is he's landed in, is thank the host country for having him. Kind of sick, huh? Back to you, Tom Payne. Thanks, Lawrence. Yeah, it's getting more difficult to crack jokes about what's going on. Uh, a while back, there was a comical Austrian house painter with a Charlie Chaplin moustache who had us all in fits with his ridiculous uniform fetish and hysterical public speaking style. Of course, no one took him seriously at first. Oh, well, time for this week's feature interview. Please welcome the authors of Gates of Vienna, Baron Bodice and Dimpfner. I was originally a, a kamikaze liberal. Um, I belong to the ACLU, and they have gone so far uh, off to the left, they're off the cliff, and um, they're really despicable. Um, I, I belonged to the NAACP when white people could join. I was a great believer in bringing equality to the country. I loved um, Lyndon Johnson's War on Poverty, and then I began to work in social services some years later and saw the results. And just through economic theory, the philosophy of economics, I realized I was not a liberal anymore because it had failed. Um, I didn't have a 9-11 moment because I was already there. I was a hippie back in the, the 70s, the early 70s, and I was political like any other stoned hippie, a you know, peace and justice man, and uh, you passed the bong. When, when I started getting really serious with my life uh, I, and really paying attention, I, I became a conservative. But that was way back in the early 80s. For about 10 years, maybe not quite that long, Dimpton and I had to kind of avoid political conversations, at least some of the time. And then by the early 90s, I noticed that we were agreeing with each other most of the time, and it was safe to, for me to say certain things. And now sometimes she's ready to nuke the towel heads before I am. That's a joke, by the way. Uh, uh, neither one of us really believes. No, no, we're not really nuke the towel heads people. It's just a wonderfully... Uh, unpolitically correct thing to say and I so I like those things we're now five years into this war I mean considering where you started off and where you are now where do you think you might wind up eventually if this keeps going on I wish we had John Howard for a president I think he is much more um, straightforward the Prime Minister of Australia yes I do not think that John Howard would be inviting some of the very questionable American Islamists to the White House for tea. For uh, I don't think he'd proclaim that from now on he was keeping a copy of the Quran in the White House. Right, that kind of thing. I think I, I, I'm really disappointed in Bush. Um, I'm far more disappointed in him domestically because he spins like a drunken Democrat. I will give him the Iraqi war for all the stumbling and mistakes that we have made. And, that, and as a coalition, that's true. We've done a damn fine job, and we did a lot of what we set out to do. And that's part of what's causing this destabilization and Iran's panic. 
both of you know I've set up this blog called Gates of Vienna. Now, Gates of Vienna is a pretty uncompromising kind of blog, and, and it makes reference to you know the fact that uh, in 1683, Vienna was surrounded by the Turks, and it looked like uh, Muslims were going to overtake Europe. And, and your tagline says, you know, we are in you know, another stage of a very long war. Right. A lot of people in the United States and Europe might look at that and say, oh, Islamophobia, you people are racists. Oh, I know. I expect to be thought of that way. Fortunately, most people like that don't even end up at us because they stay away from our side of the blogs. And most of them are not living down the road from a compound whose leader believes in a cleansing jihad to get rid of all the infidels. Tell me about that. Oh, Jamaat al-Fukra. I put a sidebar on the blog so that people could get straight to the links. Uh, A few weeks ago, I went down there. I'd heard about it back in 2002 when we had the Beltway Sniper. You may have heard of that. And uh, he was reputedly to have been involved in this organization called Jamaat al-Fukra. And it said they had a compound in Red House, Virginia. And when I read that at the time, I said, whoa, Red House, I know that. That's just a little tiny place down there uh, the other side of Appomattox. And uh, and I said, you're not going. Yeah, she wanted me to stay away from there. But uh, we're, we're in pajamas media now. We're supposed to do primary source reporting when we can, and I don't get much chance to do primary source reporting. So I took the camera and went down to Red House and started asking people questions. And then I drove by the entrance to the place, uh, and I had to drive by four times before I could even get a picture because uh, I was so scared and so uh, unwilling to stop and trying to use the camera while the car was still moving. And um, Anyway, and I blogged it up, and it uh, got a lot of attention, and certain, uh, uh, certain of our uh, blogosphere contacts, people who are in intelligence-related stuff, were alarmed for our sake. Uh, and gave us gave me a lot of advice about how to uh, first of all change my original post so that it, it wasn't so dangerous, and secondly, I had to watch out from now on. So, uh, well, what did it, you find out about Jamaat El Fukra? I didn't find out a whole lot more than I knew already about the organization, just about that particular compound, which is that two weeks before, two or three weeks before September 11th. They built a guardhouse in the gate. That's one of the things the local people told me, uh, which was very interesting. I've also heard that they patrol the perimeter with AK-47s. I can't confirm that because I'm not going up next to it, but uh, somebody did say that. They don't come out much in their costumes anymore since September 11th, but the women, when they do emerge, are in the hijab, and they send their boys to school from this, this commune, but not the girls. And I asked, what about social services, the local county authorities? And the woman told me that uh, they're afraid to go down there. See, this is an interesting um, concept, that blogs are doing this kind of thing where the mainstream media is falling down. Do you think That's what we're supposed to do. That's our job in pajamas media, is is to do that kind of thing. That the the mainstream media will not touch. And you've got Richard as your Australian editor of Pajamas Media, so you have the best. Oh, by the way, we we consider ourselves uh, Belmont Club progeny. Yeah, we we got started because of Richard. What are you two trying to achieve with Gates of Vienna? And and have you, in fact, achieved it? To some extent, we have, because uh, the Jamaat al-Fukra kind of was satisfying for that reason, because the word got out where the word hadn't been getting out. 
and it's spread. And even if the worst were to happen to me for having done it, if the mujahideen were to come up our driveway and blow me away, it would st- the meme would still be escaping, and it wouldn't matter. Really, we're just a small, small part of a very big process, which is the the new information system. The voices that have been suppressed for the last 50 years are being heard. I call it the world mind sometimes. It's it's not a hierarchical system. It, it doesn't have somebody at the top directing it all. Some some people think that uh, Charles Johnson is in charge of it. Well, that wouldn't be it, so bad if he were. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, it's a horizontally organized network of people communicating with each other. And the politicians don't yet realize what's going on. They, you can tell time after time they get hit by surprise when something gets them. And I think that's one of the reasons why they're so out of sync with the way people feel, because they're not getting information through channels that, where it's really flowing. You know what I mean? Why is it you think that this seems to have been really grasped and seized on by the right, even more than the left, who you would expect to be the, you know, the, the first adapters to this new technology. No, the left is the one with the, the interest in the established system now. They, I mean, they've lived for the last 40 years on the pose that they're the outsiders speaking truth to power, but they've been power for 40 years, or 30 anyway. The, the left is in charge. It, it, even if they're not, even when Republicans, which are theoretically conservative, even when they get elected in this country, it's the establishment that runs things, the bureaucracy, the federal officials that don't get elected, that say in their jobs for decades have, uh, are, have been consistently liberal for a long time. So we're on the outside looking in, and uh, we don't have to be underground like they do in Europe because we still have freedom of speech in this country, at least for a while longer. But uh, our voices weren't spreading effectively. Uh, people could feel like we feel, and uh, they wouldn't hear about it. They wouldn't know each other exists. We get, got in the blogosphere and sound, found out there were thousands like us. You could question my politics, and it's not the same kind of threat. I'll be willing to discuss it with you without frothing at the mouth. Yeah, it's, it's like that for our son who is in college and is surrounded by you know, the usual crowd, and he's conservative, like his parents, but he's not threatened by opposing views, and so he gets people that are frothing at the mouth at him. And, and literally, he says it's there, that, that when they talk at him that, as they're screaming, uh, Bush Hitler, Bush, Bush lied, he said the spit's coming on, you know, out of their mouth onto his shirt. <laughs> well, let me ask a final question. On, on Gates of Vienna, your tagline is that we are in the, the, another phase of a very long war. Yeah. How do you see it playing out? There's two different ways it can work out. One is if there's a, another big, deadly terrorist attack in this country or in, in one of the other major Anglosphere countries. And that changes everything. The system becomes chaotic and unpredictable. If a, a suitcase nuke went off in New York and killed... 100,000 or half a million people, then everything would operate under a new set of rules that aren't clear now. So I can't predict that one. If things continue the way we all, they are... Death by a thousand cuts? Yeah, it all hangs on the future of Saudi Arabia. The fact that we seem to be unwilling to tackle the center of the problem, which emanates from Saudi Arabia, is significant. And that's the key. When the Assad regime falls in Syria, 
when the mullahs are overthrown overthrown in Iran, still at the center of everything is those billions and billions of dollars of oil money in Saudi Arabia going out to, to fund the mosques in this country, in your country, and, and everywhere. And there's the Muslims flowing into Europe it, it, with the Saudi financing for their mosques. Eventually, that becomes the main problem. And you can find Gates of Vienna at www.gatesofvienna.blogspot.com. Okay, let's go to London. It's been a mixed bag for Blair, or at least the government, but Blair, of course, seems to come out smelling roses. First of all, we have the Iranians saying they want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Now, to most of us that have been watching Iran, exactly a big surprise. They've been saying it for so many years. But it seems the EU is absolutely shocked. Now, Blair could argue that he was right about these Islamic Islamic lunatics and he was right to support the Bush doctrine against radical Islam, which will, needless to say, rather upset his backbenchers. But they've been very much put in their place, especially those who are apologists for Islamists. We also have Mr. Galloway. Now, Blair obviously kicked Mr. Galloway out of his party because he was calling for British troops to kill other British troops and various other machinations, which some would call traitorous. Well, it seems that his Senate testimony, Mr. Galloway's, wasn't exactly on the level. Now, anybody who reads Harry's Place will know that Galloway lies like some of us breathe, and whenever he gets stuck into a corner, he merely lies some more. Well, anyway, it seems that he's, he lied to the Senate committee, and the Telegraph who he sued successfully, is now reopening their case. They're countersuing. And the Senate committee is going to be giving the Telegraph quite a bit of evidence to help their case. There is even discussions about whether Galloway should end up in prison and be charged with things in this country, and whether or not he's going to be charged in the U.S. Now, I've been speaking to a few of my people who would know about these sort of things, um, wiser than I about the sort of legalities and they said what probably would happen is that the British government would want to charge him here and jail him here and then then send him to the US after he served his time here now there are some predictions about what will happen if Galloway loses this case actually suggest that he might top himself before it even gets if it looks like he's going to lose others suggest that he might bugger off to Syria or somewhere like that but it's rather interesting that this man who we all knew was going to screw himself up has finally done it and there are not very many people who are still defending him. There are obviously his apologists, but when Tarek Aziz turns on you, you know, you know you're in deep, deep doo. So, on the other hand, the other side of the aisle, we have the Tories, the Davids. And much to the annoyance of, of the BBC and some of the other news outlets, they're not bashing three shades of dung at each other. They're actually talking about shock horror policy. David Davis has come out in favor of big tax cut. He signed a tax pledge, which was uh, which has been bandied about by my good friend and whose um, housewarming I went to, where we get to scribble on the walls, which I thought was nice. Um, Matthew Elliott, his taxpayer alliance, he signed the pledge. So obviously Nick Herbert, who replaced Howard Flight, who obviously, as you remember, got in trouble for suggesting lowering taxes, when asked about a flat tax question by uh, me. He's now advising David Davis. He's on the team. So it's good to see... Davis is being pushed towards the flat tax side of things. Cameron is trying to be, you know, do very Blair. He's going on local local radio, 
saying, you know, um, talking like he's he's somewhere on the street, and it's just not working. It's kind of funny. But it's interesting. Uh, They've had a couple debates. Um, So far, everybody thinks Cameron's going to win, but who knows? It's it's early days. There's six weeks to go. So that that's kind of fun to watch. Blair it looks like he's going to try to introduce a whole bunch of policies that the Tories were suggesting in the last election and, and Labour thought were lunatic uh, until, of course, they came up with the idea themselves. And we have the smoking ban where there was a big row in cabinet because it looked like they would ban smoking in private clubs. Now, there are a lot of Labour constituencies up and down the country, especially up north, where they um, have labor union halls and uh, labor clubs where folks go and have cigarettes and have a pint of beer when their wives want to get them out of the house. Now, if you denied them smoking, that would not go down with the grassroots. So Blair, always politically expedient, uh, made sure that they, if they didn't serve food, you can still smoke which is always interesting. Other than that, that's about what is going on. Uh, I'm going to leave you this final thought about Iran. Um, one wonders if the French have suddenly become all upset about this Iranian thing because they have a feeling that someone named Chaim in the, in the uh, Israeli military will, will, when he programs in the nuke that's going to hit Tehran, actually actually programs it to hit the other, other Iranian capital, Paris. Um, interesting development. We'll see where that goes. And I think that's that's enough for me. Um, please visit me at www.andreandodge.com www.libertycadre.net and the new and improved disgracefulmusic.com Thanks, Andrew. Well, that's it for another week here at Shy Network News. As always, you can check out uh, direct links to the various blogs mentioned in this podcast by going to silentrunning.tv and reading the post containing the podcast. I'm your host, Tom Payne, and the way things are going, we can only hope to be back next week with, I don't know, 20% less gloom and despondency, perhaps. Until then, may your God go with you.